Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. Amen. Aren't you glad his grace was greater? Amen. If you have your Bible, I want to go ahead and invite you to join me in Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Everybody all right? Yeah, y'all multiplied during a couple of them songs. And so I love the fact that you guys uh, make every effort to come after work. I know sometimes it takes a lot of extra effort. And I remember those days uh, leaving right off of laying asphalt to get to the church and be fed the Word of God and be with the people of God. And I I just want to stop and say thank you. I know it takes energy and effort to be here. And so thank you for making that effort to be here. And I pray the Lord would bless you richly tonight. Okay? Can we smile at each other one time? Y'all ain't got serious looking for your Bible and your notepads. All right? Here we go. Nehemiah chapter number 4. Nehemiah chapter number 4. Do any of you in the room believe in such a thing as spiritual war? Anybody believe that? Now, why would you believe such a thing? Because it is biblical, right? Uh, the Word of God declares that we will be in a battle and that our, the weapon of our warfare is not carnal, meaning it's not of the world. It's of God. It's mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so tonight, as we acknowledge in the beginning that there is such a thing as spiritual war, uh, do you ever feel like you are spiritually attacked? Any of you feel like that happens sometimes in your life? And so tonight, I want to give you from Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 15, seven principles of spiritual war, all right? Now, I know maybe you're thinking, wait a minute now, Nehemiah wasn't involved in a spiritual war, and you'd be right to say that, but, but at the same time, yes, he was. Even though what was going on was physical, uh, there was much more behind the scenes and there was much more going on. In other words, the physical people of God uh, had been dispersed from their homeland. That's a spiritual thing. It's physical, but it's also spiritual. Y'all tracking with me? They were physical people that had a physical land, had a physical God, but uh, the enemy, Satan himself, used other places and things to disperse them and keep them away from their homeland. And so now they're going back under God's direction in Nehemiah's life to go back and build the wall around the city. Now remember the wall of a city signified that they were a people and that they were unified, they were protected. And so the wall of the city was very, very important. They've gone back to build this wall. In the middle of building this wall, there is opposition. Now let me say this to you, okay? You already know it. In this life, uh, whatever you do for the Lord, there's going to be spiritual opposition. How many of you have already figured that out? Now, I don't think, most of the time when someone's sharing the gospel with us, they don't tell us that. Right? Anybody out there? Uh, they don't, I mean, here, somebody asked me one time, why don't they tell us all that up front? I said, because it's too much information. <laughs> you can't take it all in at one time. Uh, the Christian life is a progress. It's a process, isn't it? Uh, now, salvation is instantaneous. The moment we confess Jesus as Lord, believing with our heart, God sent him into the world to die for our sins and rise again. But the learning of the Christian life It's a process. If you know that, nod your head. Yes, we're in a process. Okay, because of that, tonight I want us to learn seven principles for spiritual war based on what happens here in Nehemiah chapter 4. Okay? So if you will, I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet with me tonight. And let's look at verses 1 all the way down through verse 15. Did you notice your outline had a front and back? 
Some of y'all, I saw some of y'all try to go back for the door, and the greeters wouldn't let you out, would they? Huh? You said, tough, front and back, I'm out of here. And uh, I'm so glad you didn't leave, and I'm glad they didn't let you leave. I'm only kidding. Um, but did you, if you didn't get a copy of our, of our prayer, uh, excuse me, of our, of our guide tonight, our study guide, would you slip your hand up? We'll make sure we get one to you. We got a couple down front. All right, we got anybody ready to do that? Yes? There they are. They're coming up from the back. All right. And so just hold your hand up. It's a little harder now that we're standing up. I made it interesting tonight. All right? Just, if, you, if you just hold your hand up, and if you pass one down the road, that's perfect. Make sure everybody gets one. And because it's front and back, that's a lot of writing. Huh? All right. Let's begin reading now. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. All right? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. <clears throat> but it's also it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that were burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Now, what's happened, if you didn't follow that, Nehemiah's gone to prayer. <laughs> it doesn't say, and Nehemiah prayed. Um, but we know Nehemiah is now praying. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create, y'all help me, confusion. Confusion. Do you know that confusion, confused people create chaos? Okay, we'll come back to that. Nevertheless... We made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, for whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall Everyone, y'all help me, to his work. All right, let's bow before the Lord in just a moment of prayer, if you will. Bow with me for just a moment, okay? And as we bow before the Lord, I want you just to take a moment and say, Lord, would you write the message of this, of this word tonight on, my, on the tablet of my heart? Father, I thank you tonight for the opportunity to preach. I thank you for the gifting to preach. I thank you for the Holy Spirit's power to preach. I thank you for a platform to preach. Lord, I thank you that the preached word is able to make us wise unto salvation. And I pray, God, if there be one within the sound of my voice tonight who doesn't know you, that, God, you would save them all together and to the uttermost. 
And Lord, as you preach through me tonight, preach to me because I need a fresh word from you. And I pray that the time you and I have spent together in this message, Lord, would, would just minister to the hearts of every person here. Tune our ears that we'd hear your voice and not be distracted by our thoughts or any action around us. And God, may we now sit like children at your table and be fed by your magnificent word. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen and amen. Am I a little bit loud to y'all? No? All right. Well, we're going to keep rocking then. Somebody said yes. Somebody said, no, I know better than to ask a group this size a question like that. I think we were about 60-40 there. So we're just going to rock on. That okay with y'all? All right. Here we go. <laughs> Seven principles of spiritual war. Now, remember, it was a physical battle going on, but it also represented spiritual things. You tracking with me? Now, you and I have not been called to build a wall around Jerusalem. Do you know that? Anybody know that besides the other three that said yes? All right. So we have not been called to go and load up our, our, our bags and go over to Israel and go around Jerusalem and get mortar and bricks. We've not been called to do that. Now, we have been called to pray for Israel. The people of God are called certainly to pray for Israel, and we should be doing that uh, consistently all the time, praying for the people of God. But we've not been called to build a physical wall. So what we have been called to do is to build the kingdom of God. Now, better said, I would say we've been called to allow God to build the kingdom through us, right? Now, what is the kingdom of God? Interestingly enough, a portion of us in the room would think that the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven, and it's only that place that has the wonderful jasmine walls and jasper layers in the wall and a big pearl gate and streets of clear gold, and we would think that would be building the kingdom. But no, no, no. Remember, the kingdom is anywhere the king has dominion. And that would be, my friend, the heart of every person who surrendered their life to the leadership, the lordship, the control of Jesus Christ. So when a person is born again, they become part, somebody help me, of the kingdom of God. Listen to y'all putting the pieces together. Of the kingdom of God. Therefore, when I go out and make disciples, what is step one of making disciples? Sharing the gospel. Inviting people to come to faith in Jesus, okay? Now, that's not the only step, but that's the way they come into the faith. And then um, further discipleship means I put my arm around them and I teach them what Christ has taught me, okay? And so now, as we talk about going into the world and making disciples, I want you to think for just a minute about building the kingdom. So you and I have been called and commissioned of God to build the kingdom of God by sharing the good news and making disciples. With that thought in mind, these seven principles, I believe, will help me and you as we go along this work that God has called us to, okay? Number one, and you know, and there are going to be a bunch of you. got a front and back, so you gotta, y'all you are going to be busy tonight, aren't you? Hallelujah. Are you glad? Uh, we've got a buffet tonight. We don't just have one course. We've got several courses. All right, number one. We've got to hurry, though, because Jackie will be knocking on that door in a minute. Uh, number one, seven principles of spiritual war. Number one, the enemy attacks our pride. The enemy attacks our pride. Do you know that you and I are prideful at the core? Do you know it's true for men? I like that. A hush falls over the crowd. Do you know it's true for women? Do you know it's true for older people and younger people? It's a struggle that we all have. It's a pride. It's a sneaky thing too, isn't it? It'll sneak in there and it'll, it'll, it'll show itself in different ways. And we'll even sometimes uh, sort of call it our pet sin and let it, let it be part of our life. As, and we'll promote it as, well, I'm just trying to be excellent at things, you know. And the truth of the matter is pride is, a, well, it comes before the fall. So the enemy attacks our pride. Let's find verse 1 through 3. And so they're building this wall. And Sanballat, who is, represent, who, who is part of the enemies of God, if you will, uh, find that they're building this wall and they are furious and indignant. And what they did, and beginning in verse number one, is they mocked the Jews. Uh, how many of you, who in, of you in here have ever been mocked before? 
Um, were you ever mocked for, anybody in here mocked for being too slow when you played sports? Anybody mocked for being too slow? Now, y'all don't want to even raise your hand. It brought back PTSD, didn't it? Y'all like, I'm not doing it, but man, I, I remember. And, and any of you here, whatever last one pick, you know, when you've played kickball or football and, you know, and you got mocked. And, and so some, sometimes maybe they mocked you because anybody here ever get mocked for being smart? Yeah, I didn't get mocked for that, but, uh, but people got mocked. I know people that did get mocked for that. <laughs> and so we get mocked, and, and, and how many of you have been mocked for being too tall? Now, Todd had to raise his hand. Anybody been mocked for being too short? Well, well okay, all right. And uh, sometimes we get mocked for being too heavy. Uh, but also people get mocked for being too light. Uh, it's interesting to me how we mock each other. You know, humans, we just mock one another. We mock people for uh, dressing a certain way, thinking a certain way. And so let me ask a question of you. How did it feel? How did it feel when you were mocked? Did you enjoy that? Man, it hurts, doesn't it? And uh, if you're like me, it made you want to fight. Any of y'all ever get to fight because somebody mocked you? Let me see. All right, show of hands. See who my people are. How many of you ever got to fight because, okay, look at there. <laughs> see, I told you. It, it touches a spot, right? And, and all of a sudden, that hurt becomes anger and you lash out. So, uh, mockering doesn't hurt. Why? Because it attacks our pride. Our idea of who we are, what we think we deserve. And so, uh, watch how this unfolds. So, that, so he's mocking them along the way, okay? Now, in your notes, I want you to write this down. Two specific ways that Sembalat and the, and the Ashdodites and, the, and all of the like, uh, the enemies of God, attack their pride. Two specific areas, okay? Letter A, because these are seven principles of spiritual war. Letter A, the first principle, is he attacks our identity. Notice what Sembalat said about them. The feeble... Jews. That's their identity. They were identified as the Jews. The Jews were identified with Jehovah. They were God's people. And so they began to attack them. But now think about it. In their present condition, would you say that they were a mighty testimony for the power of God? Heavens, no. They're dispersed. Their walls are torn down. It's a, and so the, 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 they were the byword of the world. Have you ever noticed if you study history, you'll find out how everybody's always looked down on Israel and mistreated them and, and attacked them. And, and it's because the, the word of God said it was going to be that way. And, and so there's this, there's this attack. How this, You guys are just so feeble Jews. You, you don't even have a city. You, you don't have a wall. You, don't have, you are not good enough. You know the enemy will attack you the same way? And in your life, he'll tell you about who you used to be, and he'll use your track record of failure. Anybody in here got a track record of failing a few times in the past? And he'll turn that against you, and he'll attack you, and he'll just attack you. And what'll happen is he'll attack your pride, and he'll tell you that you're no good, and you shouldn't be, you, you, you know, and you can't. And man, I'm telling you, it is one of the most effective tools of the enemy to attack our identity. And he'll tear us down and say, There's, has he ever tried this on you? Well, you're thinking that way. There's no way you could be a child of God. Well, you're acting that way. Look how you lost your temper right there. There's no way you could be saved. Well, look at how, how you didn't give there, and everybody else is giving. You didn't read your Bible, so there's no way you can be a child of God. You ever have any enemy use that on you? What's he doing there? He's attacking your identity. You and I, our only hope of living a life of victory is the identity we have in Jesus Christ. Not by our last name, not by where we live, not by our accomplishments, but by our identification with the Son of the living God, that Jesus is ours and we're His, okay? So He'll attack our identity. Letter B, uh, He attacks our ability. Did you know He'll do that? He'll tell you quickly what you can't do. Anybody ever had Him whisper in your ear what you're not able to do? 
Watch what happens here in the text. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria. And he said, what are these feeble Jews going to do? Will they fortify themselves? Are they going to offer sacrifices? Will they, will they complete it in a day? Uh, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? And Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, listen to what he said. In verse number 3, uh, he says, uh, now whatever they build... If, now, what he says is, if they sacrifice to be... By the way, uh, working requires some sacrifice. Do you believe that? Yeah, if you get up and go to work in the morning, you've got to sacrifice some time. You're going to have to sacrifice some sleep. Anybody amen right there? You're going to have to sacrifice some, something else that you'd like to do, you know, maybe that day. And so work requires sacrifice. So here's what, here's what uh, Tobias is saying. He's saying, if they... If they uh, do everything and sacrifice and build and they work hard and they sacrifice and do without and work their hands to the bone and build calluses and their backs are hurting, their knees are hurting, whatever they sacrifice to do, if a fox crawls on it, it'll fall down. Now notice what they're doing. They're attacking their ability. You see, it's a mockery that touches the pride that says you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. You're not enough. And so what happens is, listen, he didn't say, uh, notice what he did not say. He did not say that if they build that wall, if they sacrifice, if they give up their time, if they spend time away from their families, if they work their fingers to the bone, then if a rhinoceros goes on the wall, it'll fall down. They picked that. You ever, you, ever, you ever seen a fox? little lightweight thing, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I've seen foxes walk across the top of fences before, and the fences aren't that strong, and the fence held the fox up. And the point of the matter is this. What he's saying is, who you are is not enough, and what you're able to do is not enough. And that's how the enemy, my friend, tries to sit you down and shut you up and make you ineffective for the glory of God and cause you to be spiritually defeated, first in your mind and then in your life. How many of you know that? Say amen. And so, no, we're learning principles of spiritual war. He attacks our identity, and he attacks our, y'all help me, ability. He'll mock you, all right, through others. Did you know that? He'll mock you through other people. Did you know that Satan has not yet come down and presented himself to many of us as a, a red devil with horns and something that looks like off the movie Predator? You know, that wouldn't that be great if he did that? Because, boy, wouldn't we run? I mean, we wouldn't even have a conversation. If he opened his mouth, we'd break and run. We wouldn't hear one word he had to say. But what he'll do is he'll influence and use the lives of people around us. Our husbands, our wives, our children, our friends, our faith family. And we say some of the dumbest things to each other, don't we? Anybody still out there? And we, say, we do. We just sometimes without thinking, we just talk. And why do you think the scripture says, don't let one corrupting word proceed out of your mouth? Because the devil will use it. And he'll attack somebody's identity. He'll attack their ability. And the sad thing is sometimes it's through me and you. Uh, those of us who profess to be born again children of God. So let no corrupting word. We don't want to let our mouths be that, right? Uh, but a couple of things. He'll mock me and you through others. What's the purpose? The purpose is to move us from the place of peace to the place of panic. Huh? From the place of contentment to the place of want. If he can whisper to our identity and to our ability, from gratitude to ungratefulness. He just wants to move it, mock us and move us off of that place, right? He wants to move us from joy to worry, from witnessing to silence, from serving to sitting it out. And he'll constantly attack us in the area of our pride with our identity and our ability to try and make us ineffective for the glory of God. All right, principle one, the enemy attacks our Pride, okay, pride. Now, where do we find the answer for that? Philippians chapter 2. Did I put that in your outline? 
That's why it's two pages, so it's not my fault. I put a bunch of verses in there, all right? Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, what's the combat to the enemy's attack of pride? Humility. Humility. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself Jesus of no reputation. Nobody came to him and said, man, he's the key. Look at him. His reputation is of riches and and glory. No, no. He emptied himself of all of that reputation and came down as a a bondservant. Let me read a little further. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Well, let me say this to you. If you and I keep the humble mind of Christ, when the enemy attacks our identity and our ability, we roll it over to Jesus. Amen? We just realize, yeah, you know what? You're attacking my identity. You don't know half of how bad it is. Uh, the bad things you might say about me aren't half as bad as what they really are. And whatever you might say about my ability, you're right. I can't do anything, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my past and my future and my present has all been taken care of by the precious blood of the Lamb. Again, my identity is in Jesus Christ. So who I am and whose I am uh, speaks to the ability I have in this life. And so I should never listen to the whispering lies of the enemy as he attacks me through the area of pride. Number two, principle number two. See how we got to move a little quicker. Y'all good with that? The enemy, number one, attacks our, y'all help me, pride. Number two, we need to follow a battle plan. All right, we need to follow the battle plan. What is the battle plan? There's two steps to it. What does uh, Nehemiah do when they attack their identity, feeble Jews, and their ability? Oh, if they do sacrifice, if they do work, if they really do without, if they give a big offering, if they give of their time to share the good news, if they serve in some ministry, even if they do that, it won't make a difference. All right, how do we combat that? With humility. But the next thing is, what do we do? We have to follow a battle. And by the way, there is a tried and true battle plan for the child of God. And I'm thankful that God didn't say, now Terry, you guys get together down at Hickory Ridge and y'all figure out what it should be. Because we would be in a mess if you and I were left to figure out what the battle plan is. I've heard people in our congregation say we ought to spit on the devil. I've heard them say we ought to shout him and, 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 and call him names, send him back to hell. I said, boy, what kind of nonsense, what Bible are you not reading? Because when you read Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, when he talked about the devil and, and we, he talked about the archangel and their confrontation over Moses' bones. <laughs> Some of y'all going to check that out. Now, you had no idea there was an argument over, over Moses' bones. And that he, the scripture says that the archangel dared not hurl a reviling accusations against those dignitaries. If Michael the archangel doesn't hurl reviling accusations, friend, let me say something to you. You better not either. He simply said, the Lord rebuke you. And he moved on. So, uh, what am I saying to you tonight? Watch with me. There's a battle plan. Step one and step two. Look at verse four with me. Uh, Now, here, what what did uh, Nehemiah do immediately? Verse number four, what did he do? He went to prayer. So, what do you think goes in step one? The blank is prayer before action. Now, listen. The reason you and I get our tails kicked... All the time by the enemy in our mind and in our life is because we want to do action before prayer. Right? If we got to plan out our lives, uh, we would always act. When God says, here's a situation, here's a need, here's a... We want to go and act, man. And we think in our little feeble minds that action is better than praying. And what we need to do is change our thinking that praying is the action. And whatever action comes out of prayer is the key to victory. And so, this prayer that leads to action. Think about this. I was, t- was talking with the staff this week about, imagine if you and I this week in a group this size, well, it would never work in a group this size. And I can't even say in this neighborhood right here. Maybe the front row. 
All right, just you guys on the front row and gals. And we were tasked with Jesus is coming to earth next week like he did. And us, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, kids included, we were tasked with scheduling Jesus' time. You, you got it? So we got, we got seven days, and they've got us together, and we're going to schedule his time. Listen, I know what I'm going to do. I got some people I really need to get Jesus to. Y'all? I'm telling you, I'll be like, now, Drew, I know, I know you got somebody, but Drew, we got to go over here first, you know. And, and okay, 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 but we got to go here next. We got to go here next. And then we got to get him to your family, your family. We got to get him to your, your boss and your person, your coworker and your friend. And all of a sudden, those seven days would be gone, right? But what did Jesus oftentimes do? He, he went away by himself to the mountain to pray. And if we had the opportunity, we'd have scheduled him right out of that. And Jesus, the master of all things, said, what's most important in my time is to stay in communion with the Father before I go to action. Wow, that's, there's a great principle for us to learn in spiritual warfare, okay? So, uh, we need to follow the battle plan. Step one, prayer. Y'all help me. Come on, say it like you mean it. Prayer. Okay, we got to get that one. Prayer before action. But step two is do what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, so look in verse number six. So they prayed and they asked the Lord to uh, protect them, also to pay back on the enemies of God, what they're planning for God's people. And then in verse six, it says, and so as they're praying, now, now you say, why, Brother Terry, would you say that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing? Because back in chapter one, we find out that God has spoken through much. Uh, he's been, remember Nehemiah spent days uh, before he did any action. Y'all remember what he did for days? Prayed and wept and fasted. And in that time, God directed his steps and said, now you're going to go, okay? So, he already knows he's supposed to be building the wall. He didn't have to pray about that anymore. Uh, And so, he already knows. so, So, the point I'm making is, even when it gets difficult, we pray about what we do next, but we still keep doing what we're supposed to be doing. Y'all tracking with me? And by the way, what are we supposed to be doing? Building the kingdom of God. And the sad truth is that oftentimes when you and I get in the middle of a spiritual battle or even a physical battle and we're facing hardship, we stop building the kingdom. Some of us hadn't even started yet. But a lot of us, as soon as the battle gets ramped up and little things get hot and in the kitchen, uh, we put the pans up, quit cooking, right? We, we bow out of the, of, the, of the battle, and that's not it, friend. We pray, but we keep doing what we know we're supposed to be doing, and that is Matthew 28. Oh, somebody help me. 19 and 20. And we're supposed to be, as we're going, making disciples, okay? Making disciples. So, uh, we're supposed to do, uh, be doing what we're supposed to be doing. Now, that's the battle plan. What is it? Step one, prayer before action. Step two, do what I'm supposed to be doing. I wish you'd leave out of here tonight, just do what you're supposed to do. He said, what are you talking about? I wish you'd just go make disciples. But what's God's will for my life, brother? Go make disciples. Well, how do you know I'm supposed to do that? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. So what do you think I should do tomorrow? Go make disciples. I'm trying to plan a week ahead. I'm a year ahead. And I got, I'm trying to plan my schedule. What do you think I ought to do now? Go and make disciples. It is so simple that a child can understand. But it's so difficult that we humans, we adults, oftentimes resist complete surrender. To say, Lord, I want to be used. Because you reached me through somebody. I want to be used to reach somebody. While my time is still here on the earth. Okay, so we said follow the battle plan. All right, step one, prayer before action and do what I'm supposed to do. So they prayed, but they kept building the wall. 
Notice they didn't pray, oh God, we're, we're, what are we supposed to do uh, on, on, this, on this fighting our enemies? Uh, and until you hear from, we hear from you, we're not going to build a wall anymore. No. Now they didn't notice this, because we get this messed up sometimes. They also didn't go attack Samballot and Tobias. Right? Sometimes we're guilty of taking action before we receive an answer in prayer. They're praying about what to do with the enemies, but they've already received what they're supposed to do with the work. Oh, somebody ought to put that up and write it down somewhere. Okay? So, they're going about doing what they're supposed to be doing. Number three. Number three. Oh, wait. Yes. Number two. We said the battle plan. Number three. The enemy is, here's the word, formidable. Formidable. Would you agree with me that our enemies are formidable? Yes. That's why we don't call them names, spit on them, tell them go back to hell and all that nonsense. We just simply say the Lord rebuke you. The Lord fights our battles. The Lord is our, is our strength and our strong tower and our mighty God. So the enemy is formidable. What does formidable mean? You see it there in your notes. Inspiring fear or respect. In the area of the enemy, we're not afraid of him. Y'all tracking with me? If this definition only said inspiring fear, I would not have used the word formidable. Okay? I say that a lot. I'm a, my flesh is a formidable foe. I say that sometimes. You ever said that? You ever heard me say that? A form, I feel like when I wake up, he's there. When I go to sleep, he's there. At noonday, he's there. He's a formidable foe. He's always there. But when I was looking through the definitions, I said, oh, when I first read fear, oh, no, 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 no. The scripture says don't fear anybody except for the one who can destroy your soul and body in hell. There's only one who can do that, and that's God. So I'm not afraid of the devil, but I respect him. Respect how? I don't cuss him, call him names. Tell them to, go, to the, go, go back to hell. I don't do all that. I follow the scripture's leadership that says that, that Michael dare not do that. So I follow the scripture in my, in my warfare. Y'all, anybody with me? I don't follow Hollywood. Hell, is anybody hearing what I have to say tonight? Don't follow Hollywood in your spiritual battle. You'll be in a mess. Follow the word of God. And so the enemy is a formidable foe. Let me explain what I mean by that in verses 7 and 8. And now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. They weren't, they weren't despondent. They weren't depressed. Uh, they weren't defeated. Uh-huh. Uh, sometimes when you see your enemy getting the upper hand, it's easy to get disappointed, but they weren't. They said, oh, oh, I'm ticked off now. They didn't. They're still building, and they're getting angry, and they're going to do something about it. Verse 8, and all of them conspired, okay? I'm a conspiracy theorist. Let me look at your faces. Not in the government and all that. I know, already know they're corrupt. That's no conspiracy. I know mankind's corrupt. I'm not, I'm not playing all those games. I already know that. The conspiracy I'm talking about that you have probably failed to realize as you've searched dark holes about the government is that there's an enemy of darkness and the power of prince of the power of the air who is conspiring with other demons with a plan to take you out. Steal, kill, and destroy. And all the while you're worried about the conspiracy of the government. And you have an, an enemy that is formidable. And he's working. He's not haphazard. He doesn't just... See what happens. He doesn't just throw a bunch of attacks your way. No, he studies you. And his demons study you. And they watch how you and I show them our weaknesses. And that's where they attack us. And so we have a formidable foe. You'd agree with that? So they, listen, they conspired. Now what's the point of their, of their attack? They conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem. And the point of the attack wasn't just utter, utter destruction. But the, but the goal of the attack was confusion. Because confused men create chaos. Confused women create chaos. Confused Christians, come on somebody, 
creates chaos. It looks like six-year-olds on the t-ball field. Huh? You ever coach them? They'll hit you in the head with a bat. Your own kid will. Hit you right in the head with a bat. And then look at you funny when, you, when your eyes are crossed and you're rubbing your head. Like, what's your problem? They'll hit the ball and not run. They'll hit the ball and run back to the dugout. Uh, they'll hit the ball. Saw Riley do this. I've told you before. Hit the ball, run to first base. I go back to coaching. I look back a few pitches later, and Riley has taken the first baseman's glove from him. And he's now playing first base for the other team. And the first baseman is now the base runner. And why? Because they're confused. They don't, they're learning. They don't know the goal. They don't know that there's an opposition trying to beat them. That's why I used to wear me out when they said, I'd say, Tina, how, what's the score? They, you know, they don't keep score. I said, oh, man, that would tick me off so bad. Because somebody's got to win, right? And there's an enemy who seeks to defeat you. And you need to know that. And he's conspiring. He's planning. So if you be haphazard about how you're living your life, I'm telling you something. The odds are not looking very good for me and you. So we're learning principles of spiritual war by this war, this battle that was going on with Nehemiah and the enemies of God. So uh, let me just say this. We need, here we go. The enemy is formidable. But here's the next thing I want you to see in verse number 9. And we're going to have to move a little quicker. What time? Oh, we're looking good. We're looking good. Y'all listening fast tonight. Number 4. We need to, this is going to sound redundant right here, you ready? We need to keep following the battle plan. Now, we just said two, two back the, that, that, that we need to follow the battle plan. Remember, number two? Yes. And now we're saying in number four, we need to what? Keep following the battle plan. Do you know you're going to have to keep battling? Do you know there's going to be a fight? It's going to be a battle until either Jesus appears in the clouds or our little heart stops beating. It's going to be a battle. Now, somebody said, man, well, well, I don't know if I want to keep going. Oh, yes, you do, because he's the source of your strength. And he's provided the Holy Ghost of God to give you what you need to live this thing out. And he's provided a church around you to cheer you on, to help sharpen those dull edges, and, uh, and to hold each other accountable. And it's a wonderful plan God has for me and you as we go about this journey, okay? But we need to know it's, it's a war, okay? So we need to keep following the battle plan. What is it? What's the battle plan? Step one, do you see it in verse 9? See if you see the same battle plan in verse number 9. Anybody see it? So the second attack happens verbally, conspiring, okay? And verse 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer. Nehemiah said, I'm not deviating. They're not drawing me out, into, out there to fight and quit building the wall. I know how to battle. I'm going to, step number one, I'm going to pray before I act. I'm going to keep building the wall, but I'm going to pray before I act in response to this this enemy, okay? Uh, then, after they prayed, they set watch against them day and night. So they prayed, but they also did what they were supposed to be doing. Oh, look at you. You're starting to see a pattern, aren't you? I'm glad you are. Number five, because you sh you're very sharp, intelligent people. All right, number five. Write this in your notes, all right? Verse number 10. Here's something you need to know, but you already know it. We get weary. Sometimes in the work of building the kingdom, we get weary. Did you know that? If you didn't know that, I need to tell you that. And I, and I hope that tonight you'll hear that. Because when you get weary, you'll feel like something's wrong with you. Or, well, when you get weary, you'll say, well, I must not be doing this right. Okay? And so there are times in our lives when we get weary. And uh, even, how about this? We even sometimes get weary of doing good. You ever look around and say, you know what? I'm just sick of doing the right thing. <laughs> huh? You, you ever have this thought cross your mind? I'm sick of serving. 
I like that right there. Everybody's going. <laughs> I've heard people say, I've served enough. Let the younger people do it. I said, ooh, ooh, don't do that. We don't quit serving until we, our bodies are cold and our souls gone on to glory. Uh, so, so watch how this works. Verse number 10. Uh, look here, look, put your eyes on it with me. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. Sometimes our strength fails and we get tired. Now, there's a difference between tired and weary. Did you know that? Tired has to do with physical rest. And if you don't sleep enough, if uh, you're getting up and down, I'm, I'm finding out as I'm talking to people and getting a little older, the older you get, the, the harder it is to sleep. Sometimes it seems at night. Anybody else amen that? And, uh, and I, somebody, I said, boy, and they say, this gets worse, you know. And so I guess we're getting ready for home when we won't sleep anymore. We don't have to take naps anymore. And so I guess we're just preparing as we get older to get home, right? And as you think about this, he says that they're not tired, but their strength is failing. There's a difference. And so sometimes we're tired. And how do you fix tired? You just get a little more rest. But have you ever been soul weary that if you slept four hours of 10-hour nights of sleep without interruption and you are still as soul weary on the fourth, fifth day as you were before you ever started trying to sleep more and rest more? Anybody know what I'm talking about? When your soul gets weary. You don't feel like putting one foot in front of the other. The enemy says, I got them where I want them now because they're weary. And how many of you know that you have what I'm going to call uh, spiritual gauges? Y'all know what I'm talking about? So in your car, uh, did you, do y'all know that you have a, call, a gauge in your car that tells you like when your gas is running low? Now, I don't know why I asked that question. I just wanted to see if y'all smile at each other and kind of elbow. I like watching y'all move around. I think you're like, yeah, you don't know, do you? And, uh, and so, but did you also know that we have some gauges in our spiritual life. And, and so, do you, can you tell there's some things in your life that indicate to you that you're getting weary? Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I'll, I'll tell you one of mine. One of mine is a lack of compassion. And so it may not show on the outside, but on the inside I'm, I'm saying, boy, I wish you'd just shut up. <laughs> huh? And that's horrible. And that's not me. That's not, I mean, that's not the new me. That's the old me. But when I'm weary... Uh, the 43rd conversation, you know, through text or in person or what have you by 11 o'clock in the morning, sometimes I find myself going, oh, that's not a problem. Let me tell you a problem. And that's not right. That's, that's not compassion. That's more like Adam than like Jesus. And so for me, I, I, that, now, that, now pray for me because I'm not always wise enough to act on the gauges. Any of you ever ran out of gas on the side of the road? You know why that was? We weren't wise enough to, come on, act on the gauges. It's okay. Some of y'all are like, I don't want to admit it because my wife is fixing it or my husband's fixing it. It's just true, okay? For whatever reason, we weren't wise enough in the moment to act on the gauges. How much more so? In our soul, if we're not willing to act on the gauges, and sometimes we have to take a little break. Sometimes we have to, uh, find some place of solitude. You know what solitude is? It's time with no talk. No conversation. No music. Solitude. You know Jesus would oftentimes go to him, uh, by himself on the mountaintop to pray. You know why he went by himself and on the mountaintop? No sound there. Nobody talking to him. Just silence. 
And we need that in our lives. So they were tired. Sometimes we grow weary. Moving right along in your notes there, okay? I want to kind of just track with you. And so sometimes we get weary. Notice in your notes, I gave you a couple of verses there. Uh, Galatians 6, 9. Though he says, let us not. Let us not grow weary while doing good. Uh, For in due season we shall reap. Y'all help me if we do not. So here's what he's saying is, one way we can keep from getting weary is to remind ourselves that there is a reaping that's going to come. Okay, we remind ourselves that we may not see the fruit of it right now, but there is a fruit that's coming. God promised, God promised that my work, my labor in the Lord is never in vain. I may not see it today, but it is promised by God and his promises are true. And if he said it, it's as good as already done. I may not have seen it yet. And sometimes the weariness comes because we don't see the outcome that we wish we saw right now. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? And so you're pouring in, you're in there keeping the kids in the, in the nursery and you're, you, you know that we've got this many people and everybody here's got 22 kids. I'm just kidding, uh, but it seems that way right? And, and so only certain percentage of them will even serve in the nursery, which I don't understand. Um, but you don't realize that by going back there and taking one Sunday every so often on a large rotation, if everybody would get on board, and you don't realize that you are doing a work for the kingdom. Now, when you go in there and keep the nursery and the preacher preaches for two hours, you can smile. It's okay. And you leave out of there, you don't feel like there's been any great reward. Y'all, uh, Y'all going with me? You say, man, that dude, he, golly, I enjoy it when I'm in the worship center, but boy, when I'm back there, it seemed like he preached for two days. And, and I get it, I understand. But there is a reward to come. And how you keep from getting weary, I don't know how you can get weary on a six-week rotation, but, but it, I'm, I'm trying. If you find yourself getting weary, then you just remind yourself, hey, there's a re- one of the ways is I remind myself, hey, you know what? There is a great reward coming. I can't do everything. I'm going to do my part, just my part, and I'm going to believe because God said there's a great reward coming in the lives of the parents of this child, in this child that I'm holding and praying for. Oh, I'm trying to move on from helping in the nursery. I really am. All right, so look at your notes there in Isaiah chapter 40. We got to hurry, y'all. Isaiah 40, y'all see that? Are they in your notes as well? Well, I got y'all a Bible. You can tote that where you're working and you're ready to go, all right? So Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He doesn't faint or grow weary. Aren't you glad? Because we do. We get weary. But God doesn't. So what's the point Isaiah is making? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power, oh, to the weak. Sometimes my weariness is because I'm trying to do the work in my own strength. Okay? Now, let read a little further. And to those who have no might, God increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. It takes a lot, doesn't it? They have to stay up for like two nights at a lock-in before they ever get, you ever see any kind of, you know. But they do. They will. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Maybe you're in a weary season right now. And tonight, God brought you in to remind you, hey, don't give up because the work you're doing, there's a, there's a reaping coming. There's a harvest coming. And you keep going. Don't try to do everybody's work. Just do what you've been called to do. And, and uh, there's times when you're going to have to just sort of take a deep breath and wait on the Lord. And by the way, I hate the waiting room. Don't y'all? One of the most unpleasant places on planet Earth is the waiting room. And even in the kingdom of God, it's, it's hard to wait. 
But he says, if we will, listen to the great reward. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I need my strength renewed. Anybody else need your strength renewed? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Well, them eagles can fly. Have you ever watched an eagle? It's unbelievable. They shall run and not be weary. Oh, they run and are not weary. Not they sit and rest and are not weary, but they run and are not weary. They shall walk and not faint. So we need to remember there's a reward, but we also need to wait on the strength of the Lord. Do it in his strength and not in our own. Okay, number six. Number six. I think we're going to finish. Can you believe that? Now y'all are going, ah, oh, six has got four. We're never going to get through. The kids are going to be coming out of the nursery. All right, here we go. Number six. Verse number 11 and 12. Our adversaries, listen to this, are extremely, here's a, here's a word you may not use it, but let me explain it, opportunistic. Do you know what that word means? It means that they look for the opportunity to attack. They don't attack when you're well rested. They don't, they don't attack when your soul is good and not weary. Um, they tend to attack when, when you're weak. When, when there's other storms going on. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, it's, like the, it's like he knows what he's doing in this, in this spiritual war. Yeah, he's been doing it for thousands of years. And so watch this thing, okay, as we're reading it together. Put your eyes with me, if you will, as we're walking right through this thing in verses 11 and 12. So uh, Judah reports that the strength of the laborers, I hear them pages flipping, and we must have made it to the back. Okay. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able, in our, and that word literally in the ESV it says, in our strength we're not able to do it. All right? Verse 11. And our adversary said... They will neither know nor see anything till we come into the midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. When did they do that? When the laborers were failing in their strength. They're opportunistic. The enemy's watching you and he, and he notices when you're tired. When you're, somebody asked me one time, well, how does the enemy know when, um, when I'm tired? Because he can't feel what I'm feeling. I said, nobody watches what you do. You know what I mean? You act different when we're weary. We're short with people. Huh? And he's over there taking notes on you. Timothy's just watching you. He says, yeah, Timothy, he didn't smile as much today. He's taking notes for the purpose of taking you out. So he says, he's a little different today. Maybe, all right, let me keep watching him. Oh, look, he's, he was just short with his wife a little bit, you know. Oh, look, look, he just chewed his co-worker out. I got him now. Look how he's acting in traffic. Uh-huh. And that's how he knows. We tip our hand. Right? And so the enemy knows he's working again. He's opportunistic. He's looking for an opportunity for me and you to be weak and weary and tired. Oh, it's so much easier, isn't it, to let our guard down when we're tired? When we're, here's the better word, when we're, our soul is weary, we'll compromise. We'll say, I'm not going to resist anymore. I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and, and go like the prodigal son. Freedom! To our own detriment. And we find ourselves in a situation with our head in our hands, wondering how in the world it took, how did this happen? Well, it's because the enemy watched us and took notice, and he's opportunistic. He found the opportunity. Remember in Matthew 4 when, when the enemy attacks Jesus, and they go one-on-one in Matthew 4, remember? He takes him out, and he tempts him with food first because he's hungry. And notice at the end of that battle, as they go back and forth, and, and Satan's twisting Scripture uh, with the Word of God, and the Word of God become flesh, uh, correctly interprets Scripture, and uses verses specific to the attack. But at the end of that, you know what it says at the end of that thing? It says, and Satan left him uh, to, uh, to go back and return at a more opportune time. He's opportunistic. He's looking for the opportunity to pounce on you, okay, and to pounce on me. So they are opportunistic. Number seven. Number seven. And when you say adversaries, there's more than one? Yes, there's two, right? One inside, and he's opportunistic too, boy. 
I'm telling you right now, any kind of weakness, any kind of tiredness, any kind of, oh boy, he's looking for an opportunity to just show out and be the old person. The external enemy of Satan is always trying to attack and bring that person out, okay? Now, number seven and finally, we need to stay battle ready. We need to stay, because, boy, you will get, I would ask y'all how many of y'all been sucker punched, but I don't want you to relive anything that wouldn't bring God glory. <laughs> but I've been sucker punched before, and I'm going to tell you what, it's hard to recover from. Huh? An ambush is hard to recover from because you don't see it coming. You're not prepared. You're not battle ready. Okay? So, we need to stay battle ready. What does that look like? Okay, verse 13. So it was in 12, when the Jews came near and they came, they told them 10 times. So they're just trying to wear them down. By the way, they're very consistent, the enemies are. 10 times, hey, we're going to kill y'all. Hey, we're going to kill y'all. You know what? We're going to kill y'all. We're going to kill y'all. We're gonna kill y'all. And when somebody's just grinding you with a threat and you're already weary, boy, it's easy, isn't it, to... It's easy to let down your guard to stop the work. But they didn't. Therefore, verse 13, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall. Number one, in your, uh, after number seven, we need to stay battle ready. How, what is battle ready? Properly positioned for battle. You see what he did? He put them in the lower parts of the wall, and everywhere the wall had an opening, he put people. That's, that's properly positioned. Now, what does that mean for me and you? Because, well, there's not a half-built wall out here that we can go send some of us over here and some of us over there. No, it speaks more of a position in our life that I would say is a position of prayer. Here's what I wrote in my notes I want to share with you. Bent low. What's my best battle position? Bent low in prayer. Bent low. You know some people who pray, when they pray, man, they are bold, and they're shouting, and, and they're out of breath, and they're sweating, and, and, and if people hear them, sometimes they say, oh, so-and-so prayed the stars down, and they, oh, man, and people just get enamored with that, and, and, and I get it, and I know there's times for that, but I believe with all my heart the most powerful prayer is bent low, humble prayer, really, because that's what you see in the Scriptures. And I, I want you to think about uh, bent low in prayer. One, one person who, who spiritually affected my life more than many was a man by the name, you hear me talk about him all the time, Charles Griffith. In his 80s, I was in my 20s, uh, he taught me so much about prayer, not by sitting down necessarily and mapping it out, but by modeling it. And he would pray, little bitty fella. And he, and he would just, when he talked to God, you knew he was talking to somebody he saw as higher than himself. He didn't raise his voice. And I'm not telling you if you do this wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Sometimes we take that. We come boldly before the throne of grace as we should shout at God and demand at God. And really the picture there is of somebody who doesn't have to hide under the table and sneak out. You tracking with me? It means that I can, I can come to him. I don't have to feel afraid. I can come to him. But it doesn't mean also that I have to shout and demand. And so you, you, you find this posture of bent low. And I've seen, I, Charles kept this little uh, thing in his pocket. There's a little notebook. Y'all ever seen those little narrow, long notebooks that flip open and get the little white pages? And he had his prayer request on there. Anytime somebody asked him prayer, he'd write it down. And, he, and I know he prayed for because that little thing was tattered. And what would happen is somebody would come up, never failed. They would come up, one of the guards would come up and say, uh, Brother Charles, everybody called him Brother Charles. He wasn't a preacher, but he was. And they'd say, Brother Charles, so-and-so happened. My, my son got saved or my daughter's been, been clean for two weeks. He'd flip his book open and he'd draw a line through that. And I wish I could tell you the times I saw him flip through and it'd be page upon page of every line that had been crossed out. Because he was battle ready. He, he positioned himself in the lower parts of the wall. In other words, he bent low before the Lord. And he acknowledged that God was his only hope, and, but that God could do anything. 
Okay, so bent low in prayer. A couple of things about the proper positioning uh, you see there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5. I'm going to let you read that on your own, but it speaks of our warfare and the weapons are not carnal. I spoke about that when we began. So the, the condition here is bent low in prayer. Uh, how about this? Humbly seeking instruction and nourishment from the word. That's a proper position for battle. I come to the table, I crack open the word. I bow down before the authority of God's word in my life, and I leave up from there battle ready. I'm strengthened and nourished. Anybody with me? I'm strengthened and nourished. You wonder why we get our tails kicked so much? Lack of prayerlessness. We're not bent low in prayer. We don't have a very high idea of God. And sometimes we're guilty of uh, not seeking instruction from his word. How about, how about another proper position in, in battle uh, led by the Holy Spirit? It means I'm in the position of follow, not leading, not beside. Jesus is not my co-pilot, whatever that means. That means I'm following. That's a proper position for battle. Equipped, encouraged, and sharpened by the church. Oh, do you see something about the resources of God? The Word, the Spirit, and the church. Oh, it's all over this idea of knowing God through Jesus Christ the Son. Number two in your list here, because we've got to hurry and land this thing, y'all. We're circling. We need to stay battle ready, properly positioned for battle. Number two, have courage. Have courage. You know the people of God should be courageous? Nobody knows that. Well, let me tell y'all. The people of God should be courageous. What in the world should we ever be afraid of? If God be for us, who can be against us? The God who breathed galaxies is our Father. Are you kidding me? What in the world would we be ever be afraid of? And so at the same time, we are oftentimes. So listen to what he says in verse number 14. Have courage by, specifically by, going to the gym. No. Uh, have courage by remembering that you are the Jewish people. You're special. No. Um, let's read, okay? I, maybe, all right, he says, uh, I'm just reading. Okay, he says, uh, have courage. Be, do not be afraid. Verse 14. Remember, listen to what he tells them, remember your training. Remember your weapons. You got swords, right? Y'all, come on, get a little more bold in your answer there. No, it don't say that. It does not say that. Their courage is supposed to come from them remembering something, but not their training, not their weaponry, not their tactics, not who they are as a people, but who God is. Remember the Lord. Remember, you belong to him, and he belongs to you, and he's God. And he walked on water when he was here on the earth, and he touched the lame, causing the walk, caused the blind to see. He spit on mud one time, wiped it on a man's eyes, he washed it off, born blind, saw for the first time. He parted the Red Sea. They walked over on dry ground, some one million to two million people. Are you kidding me? If you've ever studied that, you'll find that the water stopped at a town called Adam, all the way down to Jericho. You know how far that is? It's not this little narrow picture you see in the children's books, all cute, and they walk in there. It's a mile and a half wide. You couldn't see the other part of water. He dried it up so dry and so far. So when you're facing things and you feel overwhelmed and the enemy seems as if he has the upper hand, you just stop and remember... The Lord. And notice what, notice what he says about him. Remember the Lord. Y'all help me. Great and awesome, man. So Nehemiah, he, he kinda, he's kind of rattling him up a little bit. You see that, John? He's like, okay, I know, I know these people are threatening to kill you. I know you're tired. I know you're tired. But hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, hey. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Remember the Lord. He's great and he's awesome. Nobody compares to him. He's unrivaled. He'll never break a sweat. Nobody threatens to unseat him from the throne. 
So remember the Lord and find your courage in him. I'm trying to move on, y'all. I really am. Number three, in your list of staying battle ready, remember the Lord. Have courage by remembering the Lord. Number three, fight. You got to fight. You got to do some things. Some of y'all are like, really? We can fight? Not that kind of fight. You're already doing that. Not that kind of fighting. Okay? Sometimes we fight. We shouldn't be fighting, right? This is yes. Sometimes we fight. We shouldn't be fighting. But this kind of fighting is spiritual fighting. Now, theirs was physical. They were sword fighting. I mean, they were, they were about to get down if they had to. But we're not called to fight that way. According to what we read from 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, we have a different warfare. And our sword, we still have a sword, but our sword is the Word of God. And we still battle, but we've got to, so I want to just encourage and challenge you to fight for, who does he name here? Read with me in verse number 16. Fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives and your houses. Uh, Notice what he's saying here is every one of you get up and fight according to uh, the principles of his word. Spend time with the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, which is the assurance that you've been born again, the breastplate of righteousness. It's not something you go in the closet and pray on. Good gracious alive. That's Hollywood. The breastplate of righteousness is righteous living. So when the enemy shoots darts and you've been living a life that honors God, it can't make you feel guilty. It doesn't penetrate your heart. Is anybody tracking with me? So... What he's saying is you've got to fight. Some of us are on the, we've gotten knocked down and we never got back up again. Some of us, the enemy has whooped our tail and attacked our pride and our identity and our ability so much that we just sat down and got quiet. And God brought you out here in the middle of the week on Wednesday night to say to you, fight. It's time for you to get up and fight. I said to the men Tuesday morning, like the third monkey about to get on the ark. Huh? The two are paired up. They're halfway up the ramp and it's starting to rain. And I'm telling you, you need to fight. Why? Because your brothers, your sisters, your wives, your sons, your daughters, the world is stealing them away. And we sit back and promote soccer. And the world is stealing them away. And we sit back and promote baseball and to- teach them how to throw a curveball. And the world is stealing their little minds and how they think and confusing them about their gender. And we sit back and we need to fight. We need to fight. I pray that God would raise up men you'll fight in spirit. And again, hang with me. Some of y'all are like, yes, I'm going to go punch somebody. Don't punch anybody. Not that kind of fighting. Okay? But to fight. Fight with truth. Culture has gone up and down and things have gotten popular for thousands of years. But one thing has remained, the word of the living God. So fight. Prayer is the same as, as it has been. And then finally, finally, uh, you got to fight, but then you got to keep fighting. Or I would say keep going. Okay? Look at verse 15 and we'll close here. So he says, fight. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing. Isn't that good that God can do that? Now again, you're just, some of us just been going through our little life on our merry little way. And we're going to school, or we've got a little career picked out, or, hang on, what are y'all doing? Hang on, we're not done just yet. Let, let, hey, don't miss this right here. And we're just tracking on through our life, and doing our little thing, and we may be in our 20s, or our 30s, or 40s, and we have no idea that there's an enemy that plots and conspires to deceive our way of thinking, our way of living, and still kill and destroy everything good in our life. And we just be bopping along. And God does not want that for me and you. He wants victory. You know how I know? He spared no cost for us to have it. He didn't hold anything back to purchase our victory. He gave his son for me and you. Have you thought about that today? 
That he, that he gave, he wanted you to experience victory so much because he knew we couldn't do it on our own that he was willing to give his only son so that we could have the victory. Oh, I'm going to finish verse 15. He says, that God has brought their plot to nothing, that all of us return to the wall, everyone, help me, to his worry. Everybody got back big. Kept on going. They kept going. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you know the rest of the story. There's some more attacks along the way. But you also know that in 52 days, something happened. You know what happened in 52 days? Finished the wall. Hung all the gates. Did an impossible feat with a people who were broken down and were not really a people at that time. Weren't living as a people. Because, listen, God was on their side. And I want to remind you today, if you're his and he's yours, he's on your side. And he wants you to walk in that same victory every day of your life. He doesn't just want you to wait and have victory when you get to heaven. Some of us are like, man, you know, down here is tough. One day I'm going to die and things are going to be good. No, no, no. He wants you to experience victory here, now. So what I want to do is take just a minute and pray with you. Can I do that before we close? Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? With heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. You know, I, I believe tonight, first let me say this. If there's someone here that tonight has never been born again, and the Spirit of God is wrestling with your heart. Oh, He's so good to do that. You say, well, it don't feel good. No, it don't feel good, but He's wrestling with you. He's wooing you. He's breaking your heart. He's showing you your need for Him. And all of that's because He loves you. You know, uh, Brian and I were talking today in, in my office, and you said we were talking about the fact that you've never heard a human being ever say, I'm so sorry. I regret giving my life to Jesus and living for Him. Never. Never. But I wish I could tell you in my short lifetime how many times I've heard this. You know, I wish I would have started living for him when I was younger. He's made all the difference in my life. He's given me a purpose for living. He's brought peace when I was looking for it in all these different ways and relationships. And, and I wish I'd lived for him longer. If you've never given your life to King Jesus, I, I just make a petition to you tonight that if you would believe... That God loved you so very much. I know it's hard to believe. He loved you so much that he gave his son for you. His son's name is Jesus. And he gave Jesus because there had to be a perfect sacrifice. There was only one. His name is Jesus. And he bled and died as God dealt with him according to our sin. So that he could deal with us as his family. And they took Jesus and placed him in a bar tomb. If you'd believe that, if you'd believe in your heart that they placed him in a tomb and he rose from the dead, you'd believe it in such a way that you'd be willing to stake everything on it. Meaning that you would invite him, receive him to come into your life and be number one, priority number one. Here's what'll happen. He'll forgive all your sin. He'll wipe the slate clean as if you never did one thing wrong. Your name recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Give you his Holy Spirit to give you help along the way. When your little heart stops beating or when Jesus comes back in the air, he'll receive you into the eternal home forevermore. No sweeter deal has ever been offered you. I don't know how in the world people could ever reject him. Did you know you could do that in your chair tonight or where you're at riding down the road or at the nurse's station there or in the, uh, in the captain's room there at the fire department, wherever you are in, the, in, your, in your patrol car, you could invite Jesus to be Lord. You could receive him tonight. There's no prerequisite. You don't have to get a bunch of stuff straight in your life. Matter of fact, you can't. 
Only he can. So precious friend, I beg you tonight, invite Jesus to be Lord. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm not going to ask you to come down front, but I am going to ask you just to slip your hand up if that's happened for you. I'm not going to come find you, but tonight if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, I wonder if you'd be bold enough. I'm not going to come find you, play any games with you. Would you just slip your hand up? I see you there. Any others, just slip your hand right up. I see you there. So maybe sometime tonight you'd come find me, come find one of us and let us know. But here's what I'd like to do tonight in closing. I just believe there's some folk in the house that need some special prayer before we close. And so I want to say that the front row up here is empty. There's nobody in it. And if there is somebody in the house tonight, I just feel heavy on my heart, that just needs some special prayer tonight. There's a spiritual battle going on for your marriage or for your children or at your workplace. I don't know. But I'm going to invite you to get up right now. Come down. Phil, there's about 15. Yep, come on. People are coming from all over. Just step up. Just come on down. There's some things going on and you need special prayer for. Come on, take this front row up. Come on, don't hesitate. The longer we hesitate, the longer... Listen, we don't need to extend over into the time because there are children. If God's wrestling with you, don't be selfish and battle. Come on, get up from your chair and come on down the front. I'm going to need a few more chairs if y'all could help me with that. If we could get a few chairs up down the front right here. Good guys, they're going to bring you some. They're going to come right here. We'll just slide those up front. Just come on. We can get down here at the altar. You be, Brother Johnny's got some chairs right there. Come on. Just keep on coming. Just bring them on out. Come on. Keep on. Just keep make your way down. Matter of fact, can I ask you guys out there to stand up? Because I know there's some others right now that are hesitating. And we don't have time to hesitate tonight. There are others of you need to get up and come on. Come on. Now, there's some battle going on in your life. There's some spiritual battle going on. And you don't need to fight that alone anymore. This needs to be a special time where your family can pray for you. Come on. There's some of you doing it. Some of you are thinking right now, well, you know, I don't know about if mine really quiet. You come on. We're going to pray for you. Don't hesitate. Quickly. Quickly make your way down. Quickly make your way down. Come on. There's still a few empty chairs. Somebody out there is hesitating. Don't hesitate. Come on. Come on, people are still coming. They're coming. They're making their way down from all over. Somebody back in the back back there. Come on now. You're thinking because it's such a long walk, you'll just stay where you are. Don't miss it. Don't miss the opportunity to be prayed over. I'm going to make one more plea. One more plea. Don't leave out of here with regret. Somebody's fighting it tooth and nail right now. Come on out of your row. And come down. There's two more chairs. Three more chairs open. Make your way down. I'm going to wait just a moment. I feel like there's somebody else supposed to be coming. There's some battle going on with your parents with your children, with your best friend. There's some things going on in their life that we just need to pray that God would give them victory. Gonna wait just a moment. Come on, there's a few more coming. Come on, make your way down. Make your way down. Come on. Gonna wait just a minute, all right? Come on, there are others. That's what I'm talking about. Just keep on coming as the Lord directs you. Just keep coming. Now, what I want to do tonight is simply this, okay? That's right. Amen. Come on down here, brother. Amen and amen. Now, what I want to do is ask you out there, if, uh, if you've ever been through some spiritual battle before in your life, and, and you know what that's like, and you'd be willing to come up behind somebody and just place your hand on their shoulder to pray for them, I want you to come. Would you do that? Would you just... Just come on, and, and, and you can slide in between the two rows, and there's a back row there, that first row. Just come on, put your hand on somebody. Everybody here ought to have somebody's hand on their shoulder. And I'm going to invite you to just come on in, press in the aisles. You can come around front. There's some space down front. Come on, just keep making your way around. Y'all keep coming around this way. And uh, we might need to make a little break there. Go as y'all can get through, or maybe not. Okay, well, that'll work. Just however we can get in right here. 
Remember, it was prayer before action. Remember? That's the battle plan. Prayer before action. So what we're going to do now as a family of faith, we're going to pray for these who are seated, okay? And we don't have to know what the situation, circumstances are. We just know that the enemy is alive and well, and he has a plan. He conspires, and he tries to confuse. And so right now, I'm just going to ask the saints of God, if you would, just lift up your brothers and sisters in prayer. Just pray out loud. Pray silent. Pray however you feel led. Walk, go from one person to the other. Just however you feel led of God to go around right now and pray. We're just going to take some time and pray. Maybe the rest of you can come out to the rows there if you feel led of God and just kind of put your hand on the person in front of you. Make one big, giant family touching shoulder to shoulder all over the room. Will y'all do that? Will y'all be willing out there in the back? Some of you still in your seats. Would y'all be willing to just kind of fill in that center aisle there and come out that other side there and just put your hand on somebody's shoulder. Everybody touching somebody on the shoulder. Okay? And just praying. Just praying the Spirit of God would give victory. Some of them are weary. Some of them, they're tired. Their, their hands are tired. They've been working. They've been serving. They've been doing. And the labors are weary. And would you pray a fresh revival of the Holy Ghost in their heart and life tonight? Let's just pray together. The Word of God says that whatsoever you pray believing, you will receive. Would you tonight ask the Lord to give us faith to believe that people are going to experience strength in these battles, refreshing in these battles, joy in these battles, peace in these battles. greater feeling than to know your family is praying for you and over you and our prayer tonight is the Lord rebuke Satan and his minions and bring his plans to nothing anybody amen that and we pray that just like the Pharaoh and his army that the Spirit of God would take the wheels off of the enemy's chariots and help us find victory in him in him in him if, if any of us, now here's what we sometimes need to know. If any of us that are struggling, if it's, if it's anything related to sin in our lives, that we would confess it, not to any other person, but just right now in silent prayer, you'd confess it to the Lord. Just confess it to Him. He's the one who brings cleansing. Lord, if my struggle's attached to my unforgiveness, God, help me to forgive. Forgive me for my unforgiveness. Whatever it is, just ask Him. People moving all around, praying for each other. What a beautiful sight. What a, you know, heaven must be smiling right now. That here on earth, the saints of God are following God, what God calls us to do as a family. Now tonight, I'd like to close in a little different way. If it's be alright, I'd like to just pray over the group. Would that be okay with y'all? I'm going to do that now. I'm going to give you just a few more minutes to finish up praying for the person that you're praying for. Don't feel rushed. Just whatever's on your heart, you pray it. What a beautiful thing. Now, Holy Father, I come before you tonight. Lord, I come boldly because I don't have to sneak in. 
But Lord, I'm bowed low. And I, I, I just sense the hurt, the, 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 the tiredness, the weariness of my family, your children. And I ask you, oh God, would you see fit to revive them again tonight? Revive them again that they might praise you. Revive us again, oh God. Lord, I pray for the struggle. I pray for confidence tonight. Not in our ability to win the battle, but in yours. Lord, would you cause them to go home tonight and sleep for every hour of sleep? They'd get two hours of rest. They'd wake up in the morning and say, what in the world happened? And they'd remember tonight. And they'd remember you, Lord. I pray we'd be courageous tonight. Not by our training, not by the, our ability to hear this message and apply it. But, but by remembering you, God. Now, as I'm praying, I want to talk to you guys. Can you, can you, those who are seated, can you remember a time when God has delivered you in the past? Can you remember something back there you thought you'd never get free from? Something back there you thought was going to take you out? And here you are. Hallelujah. So I'm just going to encourage you the same way that Nehemiah encouraged those that were tired from the fight. Remember the Lord. Think on that miracle. Think on what he did for you in the past. Just kind of think. I want you to picture it right now. Back there when you thought you were going to lose it, you were going to make it. Go back and think about how he touched you, how he moved, how he did what only God could do. I'm looking around at a bunch of testimonies in this room. I'm looking at you thinking, you ought not be here, and you ought not be here, and you ought not be here. And then I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, I shouldn't be here. Remember the Lord. He's able. He can restore. He can, he can mend. He can heal. So I'm going to close this now, okay? And we'll be dismissed. You can hang out. We better not hang out too long because, you know, Miss Jackie may want us to come get them babies, all right? Let me pray for us. Master, I thank you for times like these when the Spirit does something different. I thank you, Lord, tonight that you gathered your people here to encourage them, strengthen them. Remind them that you are our Father and you're God, great and awesome. Now, Lord, let us walk out of here in victory. Knowing that even if it's not this moment or tomorrow, it's coming. It's coming. Our victory has already been purchased. And it was bought with blood. So tonight we declare we love you. Somebody shout, we love you, Lord. We love you, God. Now send us out, Lord, in the hope of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. And all the people of God shouted, amen and amen. The Lord bless you and keep you this week.